Are you a 3PL spending more time and money than you'd like recruiting and onboarding logistics roles? Then it's time to check out Rapido Solutions Group, the leaders in nearshore logistics staffing. Located right next door in Mexico, they have access to the freight talent you need. From carrier sales to tracking and tracing and everything in between, they can do the heavy lifting for you. So if you're ready to get your time back and want to move fast, check out Rapido Solutions Group. Visit GoRapido.com to get started today. Hello and welcome to the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics, the FreightWaves podcast highlighting founders doing it the way that doesn't get a lot of attention. We're here to change that and grow the small business community in our industry by sharing their stories and inspiring others to take the leap. I'm your host, Nate Schutz. Let's build something together from the ground up. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics, where big things are happening for folks all throughout the industry. I'm really excited to give a shout out this morning to Christy Knitchell of Knitchell Logistics, who won the Ernst & Young East Central Entrepreneur of the Year Award earlier this week. If you don't know Christy's story, you should absolutely check it out. She was on the podcast a few months ago, and you'll be able to hear why it meant more than just a normal award or a, you know, a business celebration. But this is a, a real multi-generational family story. And for Christy, who lost her father earlier this year, to win this award as the second generation head of her company's family was an extremely meaningful event. And so congratulations to her. This week, I am very excited to introduce uh, Len Ellis, who is the co-founder and CEO of Everlasting Love Fulfillment in Atlanta. She has a boutique-style 3PL that does warehousing and distribution for e-commerce retailers. Len, good morning and welcome to the show. How are you today? Good morning, Nate. Thanks for having me. I am fantastic. Glad to hear that. Tell us a little bit about what Everlasting Love does and how you came up with the name. Yeah, so we do a lot of different things. Our core foundation is pick, pack, and ship fulfillment. So order fulfillment for e-commerce retailers. We also have a B2B side of the business where we're shipping out to big box retailers on a weekly basis, as well as doing Amazon and Walmart and Target shipments. And for us, it really is about being able to provide this elevated unboxing experience um, for all of our clients that want to put a little bit of extra something special in their packages when they're delivered to end users. And that's really where I think it's probably one of my favorite things is helping customers design and pick out new packaging and really just trying to improve their overall unboxing experience. We also do heat press print on demand for apparel. We have an entire customer service team. We have a digital marketer on staff. So we manage social media for a couple of our customers' accounts. We really wanted to be this kind of one-stop shop for everything you needed along the way. I like to say from order all the way to delivery. What is it about the unboxing experience that is so special? It is, I think for a lot of people, it re-emphasizes why you purchase the product. A lot of buys that you're making are emotional purchases. It's either you saw it, you needed it, you wanted it. But I really do think it helps reaffirm why you purchased the product to begin with. And it's a lasting memory. I think it makes customers continue to buy. And in an age where social media, TikTok and Instagram is everything, we see a lot of unboxing videos and tags and posts 
of products when, you know, a customer gets their package and it's, it's packed very neatly. It's interesting because in our house, we have easily, you know, six or eight e-commerce delivery branded boxes that are sitting in our closet. They're so nice. We can't throw them away and we don't have anything to use them for. But we were so impressed with the packaging that we, we kept them. Like, should we reuse these as gifts boxes for Christmas or something? Because they're so pleasing to even just look at and the tactile sensation of some of the materials that are used is totally different than just a cardboard box with tape on it. Yeah, we see that a tremendous amount. We have a customer that sells candles and one of her customers reached out to customer service. Her box got damaged in transit and she actually sent a video of her home of all of the candles she'd ordered. And the boxes on display literally had a whole shelf of candles and candle boxes. She never burns the candles. (laughs) She never loses the boxes. So she wanted a brand new pristine box. That is a connection to the brand then because it lives on the candle itself might not have a brand on it, but the box does. And I think maybe one of the best brands that's out there that really emphasizes some of those special touches is Chewy, the pet food company. You know, we have a couple of dogs and after you know, ordering for a number of months, they we uploaded a picture of our pets onto their website as part of our profile. And then randomly, a few months later, we got a hand-painted portrait of our dog in the box that was done by a person. It wasn't digital. It was you know hand-painted. And we have it in our living room. It's that level of connection to a brand is why you know the lifetime value of a customer, I believe, in the e-com space is being looked at differently where you are trying to build a relationship and connect beyond just the purchase. Yeah, absolutely. And I, again, that is what we love to do. So how did you move into the fulfillment space as a choice of where you were going to start a business? Oh, so my partner, uh, co-founder, and I actually worked for a third-party logistics company in North Carolina. Um, so it was still 13 years old at that time, but still very startup and very scrappy, I like to say. So you wore so many different hats and you could be, you know, picking orders one day and trying to help receive inventory, servicing customers the next. And I never thought that I would ever find myself in this industry. Nothing I ever considered. But I always tell people like I got bit by the bug and really just fell in love with the process, the people. And it really is the impact that you make. Of course, we're not, you know, delivering babies or curing cancer, but It's the small things, right? It's the little smiles that you can put on people's faces. And we really decided to kind of set forth on this journey and figure out if we could do this ourselves. We wanted to create a place for women, black and brown, minority-owned founders to have somewhere that they could go and they could collaborate with one another. They could grow. It's really hard trusting your blood, sweat, tears, tens of thousands of dollars of inventory to somebody that you've never met, that you've never seen, that you don't feel a base connection with, or you don't build some level of trust. And we found that that was a tremendous hole for us in the market. And we really wanted to be able to come in as a company that was, I always like to say, large enough to serve you, but small enough to know you and really build those foundational relationships with our clients. One, that's a fantastic tagline. I don't know if that's in your marketing, but it should be if it's not. That's that's absolutely brilliant. And two, as a minority, do you find the logistics industry to be a more challenging place than other industries? Or what has your experience been like? 
I think it is definitely challenging because you don't see a lot of women in the space because you also don't see um, minorities in this space building 3PLs, leading companies like this. And so a lot of people don't take you seriously. I can say that moving to a new area, I've fought a lot with our, our carriers and the relationships that we have trying to prove yourself and say, hey, I'm doing X number of dollars of volume, hundreds of thousands of dollars of volume on an annual basis. And no one wants to take me seriously. And I tend to think that that is a little bit of both, right? Being a woman and being a minority. It's a difficult topic to even just have the conversation around. And I don't know if you maybe have a goal someday of just saying I'm a founder and I I have a 3PL and not having to explain that or overcome all of those additional barriers. Is that something that's a thought in the back of your mind that maybe one day our industry will get to that place? Or is it something that you just accept and have to work through? For now, I definitely think I've accepted it and know it's something that we have to work through. For us, it is a two-edged sword where you have to be better. You have to be 100% accurate. You know, a margin of error is not acceptable. And I think that, you know, you're scrutinized a little bit more because it is a like, how did you get into this business? What do you know about this business? And I would say that I'm fairly young. I'm not 40 yet. And so I don't look like, you know, age-wise either of a lot of other founders in this space. I would love to one day be able to change that and just say, here's who I am and here's what I do and the world be okay with it. So hopefully one day that'll happen. But for now, I accept it. And I really appreciate the challenge. You know, it, it helps me not get complacent in the small wins and successes that we've had. Well, as a white male, I cannot possibly understand what your experiences have been. And I can only empathize as much as I'm able based on what what I've learned um, in my own journey of anti-racism and overcoming biases that are placed on us. And so this message isn't so much for you as it is for others that the work is ours to do as well. Like We are those in positions of power or privilege. It's our responsibility to change those dynamics. It's not on the others um, that are on the receiving end of that to have to overcome them on their own. I wasn't intending to go here today, wasn't the objective, but you know, when you find yourself there, you have to do the work, in my opinion. And so if you're hearing this and you might be having a negative reaction, I'm sorry you're uncomfortable. And yet here we are. And I'd like you to lean into that discomfort and try to work through it and figure out why you feel that way. And you know, find that there are other people willing to have those conversations. I know it's been a journey that I've been on for several years to get comfortable having these conversations. And it is our responsibility to change our industry. We can't just sit back and watch it. So please join in that dialogue and, and be a part of the solution. Let's go on to another you know area of your approach that I find so compelling. You have a, a, a phrase that you've used, community over competition. We're talking about some of the old ways of the industry behaving and operating and this new way that is gaining a ton of momentum. What do you mean by community over competition and how does that show up for you every day? Yeah, for us every day, it really is around about the community that we're building. Um, We have 10 or 15, maybe even 20 skincare companies and hair care companies that are essentially all swimming in the same pool. Their customers are, you know, very similar. 
And I don't want our customers to feel like because I'm housing two hair care brands, you can't coexist in the world and both succeed together. We do several different opportunities throughout the year where we allow those customers to cross promote because their target audience and their target market is the same. It's nice for us because I can toss one of your flyers in another package and it's additional marketing and exposure that you wouldn't have had the opportunity to have had these products not you know, been housed here. And really the founders that we support believing in this idea that you know we really can come together, collaborate, and everybody really succeed and help one another along the way. We've got founders at every stage that are doing millions of dollars in revenue that are startups and any moment that I can take to connect those two founders so that they can learn from one another, share best practices, share pitfalls to avoid is really what we love to do. The ability to mix brands like that together for a customer is such a popular the subscription box model that's out there for a, a lot of different companies, especially in you know consumer packaged goods and beauty products. How interesting to really get to see that on a pragmatic level of whether it's marketing or, or beginning to add new products as add-ons to somebody else's purchase. I can see that having a substantial long-term benefit for all the brands that are involved. Do you have plans to maybe expand that into other areas? I think that we do have plans. One area I'm really excited about is holiday. We have a gift wrapping company that does paper celebration products. So during holiday, being able to offer gift wrapping for all of our customers across the board, featuring this, you know, really cute black Santa. Um, she's got a black angel. So there are lots of really fun things that we want to make special for our customers and their clients. We also focus on sustainability. So we're doing biodegradable hearts for love, of course, and our customers get to choose the colors that they want to go in their package. So really anything that we can do for that collaboration aspect, giveaways, tossing one customer's product in another customer's package has really been great. I definitely think that last year we saw some return on the beginning of that effort, and I'm excited about where it will go. You've got a bright future. Let's go back to the very beginning, though. How did you find your first customer? And then how did you find your first warehouse? Funny thing is our first customer, I will not say they were stolen because they came willingly. The 3PL that we worked for previously, my partner, my co-founder and I, we left that company. And maybe a month and a half later, one of our customers reached out and said, where are you? What are you doing? We want to come too. And at that moment in time, we hadn't started the company. We both went on to work for an email marketing firm. We wanted to make sure that if we were going to have a suite of services that we offered, we knew something about those services so that we were offering the best to our clients. So email marketing, um, when we started the company, was one of our fundamental product offerings because we went and spent almost a year and a half at an email marketing company. So we understood what time to send, deliverability, all of these things. And so we were working at the email marketing company and we started engaging in this conversation with this customer. And we thought, okay, maybe we'll accelerate our timeline. And probably two months later, we had established our LLC and we're working on how do we transition this customer from where they are to us without making too many waves. <laughs> what a vote of confidence though, that your first customer wasn't choosing your service. They were choosing you because you didn't even have a service. They're still a customer to this day. It really was. It was very uh, reaffirming to think 
we had the idea, we had the thought, maybe we could do this by ourselves. But, you know, when rubber meets the road and there was somebody else saying, we believe in you enough to leave what we know and to take a chance on you meant, meant a ton to us. And we love them. Well, and you have a co-founding team that helped get you started. So can you tell me about Jerrica and Brandon and what are their unique superpowers that make you successful? It's very nice. Jerrica and I are polar opposites. I am very much a, I have an idea and I want to immediately act on it. Jerrica is my balance in the, okay, let's talk through the idea. Let's create a plan and let's execute. Her superpower is operations. She can create an SOP like nobody's business. <laughs> and it really, um, it really helps us be better. Again, I think just the checks and balances of me, you know, saying to her like, no, let's do it. You know, having to give her the extra nudge of we can do it. We can make it work. And her being like, slow down. <laughs> let's figure out how to make this work. So having her in this journey. It's so funny that when we started at the 3PL before we shared an office and we were just, you know, Batman and Robin essentially, or two Batmans in there figuring out how to get it done. And so when we moved into our new warehouse space, we decided let's go back to how it started and we're sharing an office today. So it, it's nostalgic. It's really fun. And it's just great to keep us grounded. And Brandon who was our accountant at our previous 3PL. So he has all this tribal knowledge of how logistics companies should work, what makes you profitable, cash flow, all of these things. And so he actually just, I stayed in contact with him after everyone left the company and we would go and have lunch. I was like, hey, we're doing this thing. And what do you think? He was like, I'm happy to help whatever you need. Like if I can help support in any way, like I believe in the dream, I believe in the vision, let's do it. And so he didn't come on board initially, but maybe less than a year into after we started, I was like, I can no longer handle invoicing. I do not know what I'm doing. This is not my wheelhouse, right? Um, Jesus take the wheel and Brandon, Brandon took the wheel. <laughs> I like that a lot. How do you explain to other people what you do for a living? I tell other people that I play in a warehouse and ship packages for a living. And then I say, you know, kind of like Amazon. And then it all clicks, right? Amazon makes everything click for everybody. But my lead is that I play with boxes in a warehouse all day. I have been doing this for 20 plus years myself. I don't think my parents still understand what I do. I, I love them dearly and I've tried to explain, but Supply chain is very complex at the end of the day. And so I just, if there's something not on the shelf at the store that you went to, that's my fault. That's the easiest way to say. Really good way to think about it. My parents understand it because they are probably here once a month helping work. And they have, they live in Arkansas. So we're, you know, seven hours away. But anytime I have a large sale or an influx of orders, something happening, they have been very, very hands-on in this process. And so they are literally here probably once a month. They're both retired. My mom loves it. She loves QCing orders. <laughs> and my dad takes orders. So they're they a pick and pack team. Somebody who loves doing QC work. I mean, everybody has a place in this world. Find yours. Exactly. Tell me more about your parents then. I know that both of them are very active in kind of service-oriented roles. Your dad you know, runs a, a barbecue and your mom uh, volunteers you know, as a justice of the peace in her hometown. 
Where does that sense of service and values come from? I definitely would say that it is been instilled in both generations, my mom and dad. My dad's parents were sharecroppers and farmers. So my dad grew up on a farm picking cotton. My mom also grew up on a farm. And my dad is a pastor. So this attitude of service, really being a servant leader, is something that I grew up seeing. My dad is the type of person that would not just give you the shirt off of his back. He would give you the skin you know, off his very back if he could to help someone else. So I grew up seeing this selfless, I think is the best way to really describe it, this selfless attitude that if you serve others, God will always take care of you. And that is just the way it's been. And my mom is is very much the same way. When my dad started the barbecue business, it was very much like that. You know, she was a, whatever we got to do, she believes in, you know, his vision and now believing in my vision. So it's just always been something that I've been very aware of. Thinking back to when picking up hitchhikers was safe, (laughs) you know, you wouldn't do that today. But back in the late 80s, early 90s, you would pick up a hitchhiker. And I can distinctly remember, you know, me and my dad coming home from Tennessee and, and picking up a guy on the side of the road and taking him, you know, wherever he needed to go. And so that has always traveled with me to always just do right by people. We'll be right back. Have you heard about Bitfreighter and the EDI revolution? Bitfreighter helps companies automate communication with their freight partners through unlimited messaging and quoting. Traditional providers can't say that. The Bitfreighter team is also available 24-7 and responds immediately by phone, email, or yes, even text. Legacy providers can't say that either. So if you want to scale your operations to save time and money, come join the EDI revolution with us. Visit bitfreighter.com to get started today. Perhaps this is our connection, Lynn, that we didn't know, you know, before getting to know each other, but my dad was a pastor. And so I'm a preacher's kid. And so I have lived that life as well. And my dad was the guy who would pick up hitchhikers too. And so (laughs) the the story that we tell now with a laugh is one time, he picked up a guy on the side of the highway and the guy pulled a small knife out of his pocket and started playing with it, like, you know, flipping it around his fingers and stuff. And my dad jokingly looked over at him and said, now you're not going to kill me with that now, are you? And the guy opened up his jacket and said, no, if I was going to do that, I'd use one of these. And inside of his jacket, he had several other much larger knives. And so my dad, you know, conveniently found a the first available gas station that he had to go to the bathroom at. And as soon as they got out of the car, he just peeled out of the parking lot. Um, There's still good people out there and there's still some not good people. So maybe hitchhiking isn't safe anymore. (laughs) But I understand that same sentiment of wanting to help others. And and I have uh, my parents to thank for that as well. So thank you for the, the reflection for me today. I'll have to call my dad today to say thank you for, and my mom to thank them for those lessons that they taught me. We're going into, you know, arguably a, a, a pretty big recession right now. The news is not very optimistic and that can be very scary for everybody. But for a bootstrap founder, I can imagine that it's even more stressful. So how do you plan for a downturn and, you know, what kind of financial position do you or posture do you take to be able to make it to the next bull market? Yeah, it's very interesting. 
you know, what is projected to come and thinking through COVID and how the impact of that was very polar opposite for us because we are in a service-based business. The world was shut down, but people love to spend money and they're going to find a way to shop. You know, we saw this uptick in volume since people were home. And I would say in the past six months, we've started to see that come down. And I would say it's coming down very rapidly. Overall, direct-to-consumer volume and online ordering is, is headed down. And I think it is reflective of people are trying to save money. People are trying to prepare for what could happen or what is you know to come. And so they're just not spending as much on as they would in the past on some of those non-necessity items. For us and for me as, as a CEO, thinking about my team, how to protect them, how to ensure that people still can get paid week to week is really of utmost importance. And it really is about, at this point, diversifying our business, bringing in some clients that we don't typically have that we wouldn't necessarily consider. I think also thinking through the retail funnel I think our retail business will see an uptick in, whereas our direct-to-consumer online buying is going to decrease because Walmart and Target, for the most part, their shelves are always going to remain stocked. So really being mindful of the brands and the clients that we bring on, what their Amazon presence looks like, what their retail presence looks like, because I have seen this downturn in direct-to-consumer. And ultimately, I think just remaining focused on the fact that God is our ultimate source. Of course, you can relate as a preacher's kid, not to sound like overly religious or overly churchy, but I can't think of any moment throughout the course of my life where I needed something and God hasn't provided it. It may not have been the way I expected it. It may not have been the moment I needed it, but I cannot think, you know, in almost the last 40 years of my life where he hasn't provided. And so I am leaning very heavily into that and know that he will provide for me. He will provide for this team because we are where we're supposed to be and ultimately kind of answering the call that he has for us. That is a different kind of assurance and confidence in in what the future holds. I would be remiss if I didn't ask the opposite side of the question that a lot of founders do have a lot of confidence in themselves. Understandably so, because you do have to believe in something that doesn't exist to spring it into life as a business with zero revenue and you know zero services. So you do also have to have this self-reliance to be successful. Do you think that there are any lessons that every founder needs to learn the hard way? When you start this journey, uh, for me and my personality, no was something that was very hard for me to accept. And I think just understanding that you will not hit a home run every time, right? You are sometimes only going to get to first base and that's okay. As long as you are swinging the bat as hard as you can and giving it all you have, I think that's what really matters. So those lessons for me and even the smallest thing that I would view as failure, I took very hard. And so I think you do grow a tougher skin. And so there's this balance of having a tough skin, but never, never straying too far away from the realities of what that impact was. If I sat here and said, we never lost a customer, we did everything perfect, that would be a lie. But I think the biggest lessons are learn from your failures, you know, learn from when you strike out and also learn from the home runs. Don't just hit a home run and celebrate 
Think about what did you do to get to this win and see what you can do to replicate that. How can you duplicate that? How can I make this a fail safe approach to hitting home runs every time? And don't take no's personally. Um, as a founder, you know, this being your baby, you take every no personally, but it may not be you, you know, it just may be some part of the service or the product. There have been some big fish that we've gone after and they've said no. And it wasn't me. It was just, they didn't think at this stage in the game, a company of our age could handle what they needed. So my job is to, okay, what do we need to do so that the next time, you know, a larger fish comes along, we're really buttoned up and, and can prove to them that, that we can be the solution. I personally hope that you get the opportunity for a whole bunch of bigger fish and small fish and fish of every size in between. How can people find you and who should reach out to you? You can find me directly. My email is lynn, L-E-N, at have-everlastinglove.com. Our website is www.have-everlastinglove.com. You should reach out to us if you are an e-com founder that wants to do things a little bit differently. You want to stop just throwing packages, you know, your products in a box, and you really want to change the way customers perceive your products and the delivery of your products. If you have a need for customer service, our customer service team is exceptional. We offer live chat. So if you, you know, are one of those founders that's trying to juggle multiple hats and you're still working primarily in the business um, and you'd like to make that transition to, you know, working on the business, then definitely don't hesitate to reach out. We could be a good fit. I would love to see you get a bunch of inbound leads from this episode and have people reach out to you online. We talk about it every week, but the goal of this is obviously to help grow businesses and support founders, but it is to grow the community. And the only way for that to happen is to take action. So if you've been listening to the last several weeks or months and haven't actually reached out to a founder when they've you know put themselves out there and offered to help. That's the last challenge of the week, I guess, is to be one of those people who takes a risk by reaching out and either asking for help or just simply connecting with somebody. Maybe you want to start your own business and you're not sure where to get started. The vast majority of founders out there today are more than willing to have 30 to you know 60 minute phone calls with complete strangers who have questions about how can I do this? How can I get started? How can I find a co-founder? What would you recommend for this idea that I'm doing? So please take the founders seriously when they make that offer because you just don't know where it might lead. Lynn, thank you for that offer. And I wish you a ton of success. As always, everybody, you can subscribe to the show. You can join the conversation online at Logistics Twit on Twitter. You can follow along on LinkedIn. You can check out FreightWaves.com for other episodes and check out the FreightCasts section to listen to all the other podcasts in the lineup. Lynn, keep up the good work. We are all rooting for you. Thank you, Nate. Thanks for having me. It was great talking to you. Thanks for listening to another founder share their story on the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics. If you'd like to become part of the story yourself, please subscribe to our show and leave a review. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.